When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll kick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us across the Outkick platforms, including Fox Sports Knoxville. We kick things off this hour talking all things Tennessee and the Volunteers Pro Day. Spring practice also starting today. A lot to get to. Just coming across, uh, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network says the Cardinals have agreed to terms with Malcolm Butler on a one-year deal. So... Both Titans' expensive cut cornerbacks have found new homes. I don't imagine Malcolm Butler is getting $16 million guaranteed in his first year the way Adore Jackson did from the Giants. But uh, Malcolm Butler lining up in practice against DeAndre Hopkins, against uh, who did they sign? He will, he will relish that yeah. opportunity. A.J. Green. A.J. Green. He competes. Yeah. That'd be some feisty training camp. Uh, an eventful defensive offseason for the Cardinals. J.J. Watt and now Malcolm yeah. Butler. They're not going young either. They're, no. they're, uh, they're in a go-for-it-now kind of mode, which is a little bit surprising because I think they're still a year away uh, uh, offensively, quarterback-wise anyway. I think he needs some time. Uh, there's a quarterback battle that begins today for the Tennessee Volunteers in spring practice. We'll get to that in a moment. Pro day happening today as well. And Trey Smith on full display with the athleticism. Not a big surprise. Uh, those across the state and fans of the balls know what he possesses. But NFL scouts on hand uh, about to see what's in store for the very athletic offensive lineman, Chad, who should go fairly high. Yeah, he's a guy who, I mean, at University School at Jackson in West Tennessee looked like an NFL offensive guard when he was in high school. So he came to Tennessee with... Five-star credentials, and just a, you knew day one he was going to be a starter. I mean, he was a, a freshman starter for the Vols. Terrific player, even better person. Uh, everything that he dealt with, with the blood clots and the lung issues, that is going to be the biggest question mark for him with NFL scouts. His play, not a big question with it. Terrific player. He is a day one plug-and-play guy on the offensive line. Big question is going to be his health and medical and what goes on there. They came up with a formula and a plan where he could manage that problem and play at Tennessee, which bodes well for him. But that's going to be the biggest question that NFL teams have with him are the medicals. But Trey Smith, terrific player, and I think he's going to do very well with Tennessee's pro day today. Uh, and, Paul, you brought up a wide receiver who has a chance to make a name for himself there and has already done so with the senior bowl. Josh Palmer, um, you know, is a guy. Uh, I have a file up today at paulkowarski.com with Blake Bettingfield, our good friend, running through 45 wide receivers. The Titans obviously in great need at the wide receiver position. Josh Palmer, he's got maybe as a kind of fifth wide receiver type now, obviously could help his stock with a good performance. Another thing we haven't talked about, um, you know, combine time has come and gone, and we didn't have it. If you're at the combine and everybody's comparing 40s off the same 
you know, same scouts, same watches, same field, same surface, all of that. I think you got a grounds for comparison there. I still think it's kind of ridiculous that you're arguing over slight differences. But now, if you've got a 40 time from Knoxville and a 40 time from Utah and a 40 time from Georgia and all of that, how much do these slight differences in 40 times really matter? And I, don't, I haven't seen much public debate over them. I don't know what kind of debate you're going to have in a, in a war room at an NFL facility. But I think a minor difference in a 40 time on a wide receiver or on a cornerback is going to lead people back to where they should be, game film and game speed. And I think that's healthy for football, generally speaking. I, uh, I think maybe it bails out some of the worst scouts and GMs who are over-reliant on clock times, right, and put that too high on the scouting report and don't rely enough on game film, game speed, and all of those kind of reports. But anything to me that diminishes track, workout, um, combine, 40 times. The underwear Olympics. Is good when you for eliminate the game. that, it could be good. And I think Matt Miller, uh, who's one of the best draft guys out there, has written this. He thinks it's going to take time, obviously, right? It's a generational thing. And one of the reasons you stick with those 40 times is the ability to compare to past generations and past people you scouted, but that we're heading towards <laughs> GPS stuff and miles per hour that you hit in a game on certain things and you could compare that to another guy. That, to me, sounds like a more sensible thing. What do you think? Well, the analytics over the years will tell you that and show you that if you run anywhere between a 4-4 and a 4-5-5, the level of separation that you're getting the at the next level is virtually the exact same. So, but fans don't believe that. Most, most well, fans think a 4-4 four, four and a 4-5 are a mile apart, you would think. Well, they are in the Olympics, which is right. what the combine is. Right. Yeah. And, For Usain and, Bolt, it matters. <clears throat> but with pads on and within the three-yard radius of contact. On a 10-yard route. It's, it's not going to make that big of a difference. So, uh, you know, the, four, the true 4-2-9-4-3 guys, open field, huge difference. Those guys go high for a reason. Compared to the 4-4. Four, four. Uh, and the 4-5s. Four four five. But the, the separation factor for a guy that's a 4-4-1 four, four, to a 4-5-6 is not that big of a difference once you put the pads on and line them up. That's why you go back to game film. Especially if you play right. fast as opposed to play slow. And, you know, we've seen that. Anquan Bolden, our friend Coach Dave McGinnis, knew well, didn't time well. And he played perfectly fast I'll enough to have a very one. effective A.J. Career. Brown for the Titans. Did we're, not run the, well. We're in the Tennessee Power Hour. He's a guy who's not known for his speed and running the 40, but you put A.J. Brown on a football field, and he's running as fast as he needs to. And he regularly runs away from people. And away from people. Let's give an example. Today, Josh Palmer ran a 4.53 and a 4.51. That's that's great. Like That's what he needed to do. It didn't have to show up and run a 4.3. If he did, he's a first-round pick. If he pick. ran a four-six, he would also say this. I'll also say this about Josh Palmer. I think he's a, he's a really good player, and he's got a, a good possible NFL future ahead of him. That's at 210 pounds, too. But, I, but I, I see that, and he's always he's a 6'3", 210, 4'5". It's great. That's yeah. great measurables, right? But I can watch A.J. Brown play at Ole Miss, and I can watch Josh Palmer play at Tennessee, and if I'm looking at the film, I don't care what A.J. Brown's 40 time says. A.J. Brown, if he's head-to-head in a competitive setting and it's him and Josh Palmer to go score a touchdown, he's going to outrun Josh Palmer. 
that's the bottom line. That, that's why I'm with you, Paul, that we need to value the film and what they do in games over everything else. And I, again, this is not a knock on Josh Palmer. He could be a good player. Didn't get a great opportunity at Tennessee, really, on, in, in Jim Chaney's offense and, and with Jarrett Garantano at quarterback, who was wildly erratic throughout his career. So he could be better in the pros than he was at Tennessee. But this is where game film matters. Yeah, I, I'd love to see him move away from that. But, uh, you know, you get it. Th- the analytics need to come more and more into play for more and more younger GMs to be willing to make a major change like that. And I don't know if there's ever going to come a time where the 40 isn't written somewhere on the sheet. It just is going to go from the top left to the bottom right. Maybe. Well, I think we're going to get to a point in the scouting process, uh, especially for the Power Five conferences, where it, much like Major League Baseball can measure now the, the pitch r- rotation for a pitcher, right. you'll be able to measure, and they probably can argue do this, but I'm, I'm talking for the NFL level, I'm far more intrigued by how fast you are after the catch in pads, separation speed, like that. That is valuable for a guy that's 6'1", 210 pounds. Yeah. That, that's where I think it comes into play. Or on particular routes. You know, if you're particularly good at a route, all right, yeah. show me how fast you get here. Uh, you know, show me how fast you get here after a cut. Well, and, and the film will show you that. You know, and, and with a guy like, you know, a Josh Palmer, for example, it's going to show it against Alabama and Georgia and Florida and some of the best. I mean, he went head-to-head with – C.J. Henderson, you know, a year ago. You're going to see them up against guys who are either in the pros now or guys who are going to get drafted high. So the film's not going to lie when it comes to that. Follow us on Twitter, Outkick360. Brandon writes on Twitter, I don't know why, but Trey Smith just looks like a Pittsburgh Steeler. I, I could see that. There, there's something about his style, and you could definitely see him in that Pittsburgh uniform. But there's a lot of NFL teams that probably would like to see Trey Smith in their uniform. The volunteers are getting a chance to see their uh, scholarship players, at least however many, what, like 70 scholarship players right now that took the field for day one. Not enough. Not enough, Jim. Not enough. Uh, Josh Heupel getting a chance to see his team in in that practice uniform and eventually in pads. Uh, Storyline is, of course, at quarterback where the anticipated battle begins officially for the new head coach. Yeah, that's, that's the big one to watch, and it feels like every offseason Tennessee's going into it. Other than, uh, I believe it was Jeremy Pruitt's second season where he named Jarrett Garantano the starter throughout spring, even before spring started, that he was going to be the guy. Maybe that was a sort of the intent was to give him confidence that he didn't possess at the time. Um, there is a big quarterback battle at Tennessee. Hendon Hooker, Harrison Bailey, the five, former five-star, now going to be a sophomore, Caden Salter, incoming freshman from Texas, and then uh, Brian Maurer, uh, who's on the roster, I don't think factors in as much as those other three, but those are the guys to watch. And the big storyline today is who's not on the roster, and that is Henry Toto, who is in Knoxville, and Quavaris Crouch, who has gone through workouts with the team all offseason in Knoxville, not on the roster, remains in the transfer portal. Both guys remain in the transfer portal, but have not announced where they're going, Josh Heupel yesterday in a press conference said the door is open for them to return to Tennessee, but clearly as of right now, they're not a part of this team. And the, the door is clearly open like the weight room door. The, the Henry Toe thing is yeah. weird because I'm hearing that he's going to be working out 
at Tennessee football facilities but not participating in practice. This is where I feel like college athletics is getting a little bit too loosey-goosey at times. Like these guys, they have such they have such control over what they can do, and they know it now. They all know it. Henry Toto knows that he can go to any other SEC program and be a contributor. If he goes to Alabama, he's not a star, but he's going to play. Goes to Florida, probably not a star, but he's going to play. If he stays at Tennessee, he is the guy on defense. He knows that. And he knows Tennessee needs him. So Henry Toto could just show up in Knoxville, pack his stuff up, stick around for a while and say, yeah, I want to keep working out here, but I'm not going to give you any assurances that I'm going to be a part of this program. And if you're Tennessee, you just take it and because say, oh, okay. But, I mean, it is an inter- it's, a, it's a fascinating question if you're Josh Heupel. Do you play the hard line and just say, screw off? to Henry Toto and not give yourself any chance of the guy coming back and playing for you and Quavar's Crouch knowing you need those guys to have any semblance of, of success on defense in year one? Or do you play the game and say, yeah, do what you want and hopefully you'll come back? I think it's a fine line to toe. And again, Paul, I can see your face right now. This is not the NFL. I know. This is not just but a, what's it well, say, we'll just cut him and go sign another guy. What's it say to the rest of the guys there who are all in? It's not a great message to send. But again, what did we say with Isaiah Wilson all year? What is the message you're sending when you, but he's a first round pick? Mm-hmm. It's a terrible message to his spot. teammates that he was on the roster as long as he was. He should have been cut before the season started, you know, almost the way he showed up. And if you're going to want to send a message, but you don't do that with guys you've invested in. Tennessee's invested a lot into Henry Toto, invested a lot into Quavar's Crouch. Two guys who are five-star prospects coming into Tennessee that play a position where they need depth badly, and they need playmakers badly. So if they're not there, you are piecemealing all year a linebacking core together and even changing positions with guys to try to get bodies into that spot. But it's, is there is I, again? There I, don't, I don't know what the right answer is. It infuriates me as a Tennessee grad. What can they if do? If he stays there and decides to go to Florida in two weeks, but he's working out at Tennessee. It what can they do to win him over at this point? Like, what's, what's the date, you know, and what do they have to do to win him over? How long can he string them along? To me, there needs to be some kind of timetable that they have. It's a great question. Yeah, but they've already, the previous regime, right before Pruitt was fired, they flew across country to meet with him uh-huh. and re-recruit him. Yeah. With Kevin Steele. Yeah. They, um, I mean, I... I don't know what the timetable would be. Because you've got to you've got to go forward with your alternative plan at some point. I mean, I guess well, they're, they're doing, doing that, that because, he's anyway, because he's not there. Right. But still, those kids deserve at some point to know. You know, I just think hey, it, it's us. It's not him. I think the term uh, buy-in is used too much. This but is that. That's yes. what I'm going to be watching in the orange and white game and throughout spring. You're going to need to find the guys who legitimately bought in quickly. It happened immediately with Sam Pittman at Arkansas, and they had some immediate success coming off some very bad seasons So un- under Chad Morris, their previous head coach. So if there's immediate buy-in with guys, you're going to know who those guys are on this roster. Clearly it's not Henry Toa or Quivars Crouch right now, but you can understand why Josh Heupel and that staff would want to leave the door open for talents like that to possibly be on the team. So let's run through because it's more than just the players that we're discussing and the players that were participating in the pro day today who will not be back on this roster. 
Wanye Morris is now at Oklahoma, along with Eric Gray. Um, Ty Chandler at North Carolina. Yep. At Jarrett Garantano at Washington State. JT Shrout is at Colorado. Wide receiver Brandon Johnson went to Central Florida. Jameer Johnson, the offensive tackle, is now at Texas A&M. Uh, Keyshawn Lawrence, did he also go with Oklahoma? He's at Oklahoma. <laughs> so they have three That's at Oklahoma. That's a big loss because he's a really good player. DeAndre Johnson, outside linebacker, is now with uh, the Hurricanes. And Brent Samaglia, the kicker, went to Georgia Tech. I mean, that, that, the, the names wow. there make up the fabric of what this team was last year. Now, you can say all you want about the coaching and the makeup of the roster and whether or not these guys were overhyped or if they were used to the best of their advantage or if they stuck with Garantano too long, whatever. There is a turnover here at every position that you look across as a new coach that inherits this roster that has give or take 70 scholarship players as they begin spring practice. Uh, I can't I can't help but think that Heupel walks out there today and, and assesses things with his coaching staff afterwards and says, whoa, this is thin. Th- th- we knew this was an uphill climb. This is a this is more like a mountain that we're attacking. Well, and here's where Josh Heupel needs to this is a I'm going back to my initial assessment of Josh Heupel. Prove it. Right. Total wait and see. Uh, Tennessee. Right. And you're going to see now in recruiting. Tennessee has zero momentum in recruiting. None. Uh, they're not getting anyone right now. No one's talking about them. But on the flip side of that, Jeremy Pruitt had all the momentum a year ago in recruiting at this time. And, and Butch Jones was able to create this offseason momentum with recruiting. Tennessee's in a place now where they're no longer recruiting on their name alone. They need to prove it. And quite frankly, that's where they need to be as a program. Josh Heupel needs to go out there in year one. He has, he's been dealt a shorthand. There's no way around it. But prove that you're creative. Get creative with some things. Tennessee fans need to be looking back at the end of next year and saying, even if they're five and seven, four and eight, whatever the record is, and saying, man, they got really creative with that roster. They found a couple guys who were going to be really good players and did some interesting things where it's almost that high school coach mentality that Jeremy Pruitt preached about where he said they were going to be an advantage a year ago because of the shorthanded nature of COVID-19 in the season because we're all high school coaches. We're all former high school coaches, so we know what it's like to play the hand you're dealt and you can't go out and recruit. And that fell flat on its Didn't face, work. and they went 3-7. and seven. So can Josh Heupel show some of that? I think he can offensively. Um, what happens on defense is a different story. But you just went through the list, Hutton. They're hurting from a roster standpoint. Those Eric Gray, I mean, Key Lawrence, Wanye Moore, you go down the list. There are some really good players that's off that roster now where they're going to have to find some guys to, to plug and, and I, play. And you said it better than I did right there. You know, I think as we go through the list, there will be those who said, oh, we, Garantano, JT, Shrout. Uh, you can find a kicker like Samaglia, right? But Wanye Morris and Eric Gray at the top of that list, along with Key Lawrence, who goes to Oklahoma, those are key contributors that you were hoping you could build around and, and be a nucleus as you try to get over the hump as a new head coach comes in yet again. Well, Eric Gray's a star. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can say what you want about his decision to leave and what his role would have been in this offense and how maybe he, if he was going to play for Jim Chaney, Maybe he should have stuck around and played in this offense because he would have had even better stats 
uh, with what Josh Heupel would do with him. Whatever the case, if he goes to Oklahoma, where he, he's going to continue to be a star. I really believe that. He was, he was a star at Tennessee. That's a problem. Uh, offensive line, I do think there's some potential there. Cade Mays coming back helps. Uh, Darnell Wright, another former five-star guy, needs to step it up, but that helps. Kron Calvert from Warren County, Hutton's alma mater. He needs to step into a, a right tackle mode, probably for Tennessee to be successful. But they've got some good pieces on the offensive line coming back and the defensive line. I, I just think that this, while this first season from a record standpoint isn't going to tell you everything you need to know about Josh Heupel and his staff, I do think this first season is going to tell you a lot about their ability to adapt because that's something they're going to have to do in this conference because you're not going to out-recruit. Jeremy Pruitt was a good recruiter. He wasn't out-recruiting Alabama, Georgia, Florida. You're not going to out-recruit those guys. So if you're going to win a title and you're going to surprise some people, you're going to have to get creative at some point. Why not start right in the beginning when you're shorthanded, your roster's not as good, get creative, beat a team or two you're not supposed to, be competitive, develop some guys. That's what Tennessee fans want to see. And you've got to re-energize the guys who did stay and get that buy-in that you were talking That's about. Right. And you're getting that buy-in at a time where things don't look great. And guys are looking around at the list of people that you just read who are playing college football but not, not uh, wearing orange. Well, Nigel Warrior is a good example of that guy who the previous staff, he was out of the good graces with them, was not being developed. Jeremy Pruitt and company take over. He's great under Jeremy Pruitt. Fresh who start. are those guys now for Josh Heupel? Guys who haven't been playing or underperformed under the previous regime that it's one man's trash is another man's treasure type scenario. The reset will help some of these Tennessee players. Is it Roman Harrison on the edge? Who are some of these guys that they have the raw materials to be a great player that this staff can unlock? That is one of the big questions for spring practice with Tennessee. Uh, well, a lot more to get to with the Tennessee Volunteers. Tomorrow during the Tennessee Power Hour, we will have the VolQuest Hour with Austin Price. That's coming up tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk Titans. Malcolm Butler now with the Arizona Cardinals. Daquan Jones, could the Titans still be in the mix to re-sign him to their defensive front? We'll discuss that and more straight ahead on OutKick 360. Three sixty on the Outkick Network. Tennessee Power Hour is here. Huge thanks to Jacob Swanson, Lance Lee, and the chairman of the board, David Reed. Subscribe on YouTube. Share the show on Facebook if you're watching on Facebook Live. Give us a retweet on Twitter. If you have a Amazon streaming device, if you ask Alexa to search Outkick on YouTube, our show will pop up and play for you there. And hit the subscribe button on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, the list goes on and on. Wherever you listen Everywhere. to your podcast, download your podcast, please search out Outkick Content and Outkick 360. Malcolm Butler has signed with the Arizona Cardinals. The best description I can give for Malcolm Butler is if someone were to come up to me and say, describe the Titans mentality. What, what is something that the coaches and the organization tried to instill from the top down? Uh, I, I would point to a guy like Malcolm Butler. I, I think his, his mentality that he brought in game in, game out, uh, championship quality, who had been there and done that with the New England Patriots, a guy who had straight earned it coming from West Alabama, 
and becoming a Super Bowl MVP, which coincidentally he just signs with the Cardinals, where he will play half of his games in the stadium where he was the Super Bowl MVP with the interception on Russell Wilson. Um, I, I love the guy, like as a player. Can't, cannot say more great things about him when it comes to the pro mentality. And they brought him in after they brought in Logan Ryan. They drafted Kevin Byard. There was a fabric that was built across the team that really was exemplified in the work of the secondary. And Butler came in, stepped in, and wasn't a vocal leader by any means in the public eye, but he held himself accountable and he held his group accountable. And I love the scrappy mentality that it takes to play the corner position and the play in, play out. You get burned, you get flagged for for holding or pass interference. Very next play, he's talking trash with the top receivers in the league. I want that as a coach. I want that as a general manager and some of my top paid guys. Butler brought that. Props to Malcolm Butler, who gets another contract with Arizona, an organization that's loading up on veterans. They now have signed 10 or 11 players now, and the vast majority of them will be 30 years old by the time that the regular season rolls around, Paul. Think about Butler for me. When he arrived, uh, I wrote about, I want the Titans, I want any team to pay for special traits, right? Super speed, unbelievable ball skills, a tremendous feat. A category of elite right. some, somewhere. And yeah. Malcolm Butler, to me, as he arrived, didn't have that. And I still think uh, he doesn't have that. He's incredibly feisty. He's smart. He's tough. I don't disagree with your assessment of him at all. You want him on your team. Uh, I wrote as he departed that there was more value to those qualities, particularly for this team at that time, right. than I thought. But still, if you're going to get uh, an expensive free agent, I, I want that trait or traits, plural, preferably. Um, but he was good for this team. Um, and he'll be good for that team. Um, I don't have a problem with the Titans getting out of that contract at that price at this age. It was expected. It's the beginning of the downturn age for a cornerback at about 31. Um, here's the thing about the Titans. Just go back two years. The defensive backfield was an absolute mess this last year. The defense was an absolute mess. Go back two years. You had Byard and Vaccaro very, playing very well. Byard was uh, all pro level. Mm -hmm. They obviously had a terrible year this year. And you had Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, and Adoree Jackson. That was five really good players, better than the sum of their parts together, coached by Kerry Combs, a, a terrific high-energy coach. They were, they were around him for every word. A special teams period came around if they weren't involved, and most of them weren't most of the time. Once Adoree wasn't returning punts anymore, which was a godsend, they, they were disciples at the feet of, of the coach. Uh, and that was a terrific bunch. And now, I talked to Bayard yesterday, the last man standing of, of, of the group. You know, now, they had a slogan, you're going to make fun of it now, considering how it turned <laughs> out, my man catch no balls, you know. And, and Byard said, MMC that, and B. that's over. 
you know, we need a new identity and to find out who we are. <laughs> it's and, over. And what we do and it what came, our thing. It came to a and fiery halt. And look, even when, you know, it's a, it, it, it's an attitude, obviously. Cornerbacks and defensive backs are giving up catches no matter it how It became MMCAB, my mm -hmm. man catch, catch all, all balls. <laughs> yeah, but we weren't factoring in Jonathan Joseph and right. and Breon Borders after teams kind of got a hold of that and and Kareem Orr and, and Ty Smith guys who had to Jonathan play Joseph a lot who Hutton has year. a faster forty times than Jonathan Joseph. Yeah, last time forty times do count when you're talking. About I don't know about that, Jonathan <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> Let's be honest, he'd smoke ball yeah, still yeah. at forty-seven years old. Um, but it just goes to show you how quickly things change. You know, just two years ago. That was a five-pack that was the heart and soul of this team. And may I add, just an average pass rush that made them the top defense in the NFL. Right. They just had to be average with the pass rush that year. All, all, uh, yeah. And now all you want, because the Titans have become an offensive football team, if Downing can keep this going and if they can find the right pieces to replace top guys who left, Corey Davis, Johnny Smith. Um, but if the offense can stay somewhat close to what it was, all the Titans need to be, we've talked about this time and time again, is average. If they could be the 16th defense in the league instead of 29th, this could be a very good football team. We talked, I don't know if we ever got it onto air. Jim Schwartz, who retired as the Eagles defensive coordinator, he set a standard in Philadelphia where 16th was as bad as the Eagles would ever be, right? So they could be very good. But if they were going to be bad, that was as bad as it would get, middle of the pack. And middle of the pack is okay if your offense is good. Now in Philadelphia, they made pretty good on that most of the time. And if the Titans could do that, if that could be their formula for the duration of Tannehill-Henry, Tannehill-Henry-Brown as a trio anyway, they'd be in good position. Can you get back to that? Uh, you know, they've got to finish replenishing the talent. And Mike Vrabel has to be in the lab with his coaching staff reinventing what they intend to do and how they intend to do it. Can they get Daquan Jones back in the mix? This is, we, we, we discuss phases of free agency. We've had that top tier now sign across the league. Daquan Jones will be in tier two. And while there will be teams that will be calling and trying to acquire him, I think if the Atlanta Falcons have the cap space, I'm not sure if they do. They'd like uh, him. It makes a ton of sense to go join Dean Pease and Arthur Smith with a group that he knows and a defense he would fit well. They need him. Uh, but the Titans also do. He was one of the more consistent players defensively for this Titans team last good year. good at what he does early downs. He wouldn't need to play in – in the, in the nickel front, if you will, because you've got now Danico Autry, who would play alongside Jeffrey Simmons and rush downs with Dupree and Landry. So Jones now play fewer snaps and be a rundown defender mm -hmm. who could rest Autry and or Simmons in, in a rotation thing there. Hopefully you don't go much deeper than, than three uh, if you do. You know, you're calling on Murchison and Tart, say. That, that's a decent-sounding five-pack. He's a good leader. He was a defensive captain last year, I believe, for the first time. So he's got the respect of the room. Uh, it's hard not to like him. He's a really good guy. And he had some games where he showed up really big, like a super impactful run guy. Doesn't penetrate a, a lot. He, was, he made $7 million a year for the last three years. He's projected to make like 7.2, 7.5 by the people who project such things. 
I don't know if you're paying that. It's 7.5 for that anymore. You could get a kid to do that. Tart could do that, maybe, you know, if you're projecting well. But if he's going to take five or 4.75. Yeah, if he's taking the Jayon Brown deal. Then absolutely yeah. bring him back. I haven't heard his name mentioned anywhere. It's just dead for him, seemingly. Yeah, uh, and I think the, the and Titans. it could be a while. The Titans really like him. But yeah. for I the would right, imagine they the want right him price. back unless they saw some signs and they're like uh, at the he's about to drop off line with him like they were, I think, with, with Kenny. They saw Kenny Vaccaro. I don't think he's that. He's not that. Kenny Vaccaro already started to drop off. But Kenny Vaccaro wasn't a money decision strictly. Kenny Vaccaro was a play decision well, paired with money. Let, let's just compare. But they had, a, they had Kenny Vaccaro's solution on the roster in Hooker. They don't have uh, they don't have the nose on the roster unless they're all in on Tier Tart. They, and they, can you be in all in on Tier Tart yet? Uh, you can move him know. up the rung. You move him up a rung, right? You move but, him up a rung. You you can move him up a rung and say we'll find another undrafted guy. And between those two guys, we'll be covered. It's not a lot of snaps. That's it's not right. Not a lot of snaps. It's not like the number two receiver for Nick Westbrook Akina getting all those. Snaps. That's a lot of snaps. That's a. <laughs> That's a lot of snaps. Oh, coming up, uh, some more thoughts on some local headlines and the dilemma that the Preds will be facing at the NHL trade deadline that I guess is a good problem to have, but is it for this team? We, it, it, Chad, I think there are some details out about the, the referee and the, the microphone being live. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, I mentioned it yesterday, but that was a Preds broadcast issue also that the reason that everyone heard that was something to do with the broadcast, and there is a, a report out that that is, in fact, the case. It didn't take a, a brilliant detective to figure out that someone screwed something up in the truck. So backlash? But that, I, not only is it going to be backlash, but Ooh, as I mentioned, right I, I think that um, it's pretty easy to say that NHL is not going to be pleased with allowing a hot mic to go over yeah. a broadcast. That's fine. It's pretty easy to say the Preds aren't pleased with what was said, whether it was on a hot mic or not. <laughs> or, and the league, well, and it's pretty easy pleased. for the league to come back and say, "Yeah, and we fired his ass immediately." <laughs> so shut up. Well, I mean, so that's a pretty now. strong. That's a pretty strong response. It should be over. And now. also, you won two to nothing. It's, <laughs> it's over now. Spots. So, yeah. To me, it's over now. But I, the, the, if the league says, "Hey, we, you know, we're really pissed off about the hot mic," if I'm David Poyle, who's a very civil man, I'd say, yes. you know. It shouldn't be something on the mic that would be so egregious to be heard that if the mic happened to spill into three seconds of the commercial break, you'd be horrified to hear. That's the standard your referees should be held to. We can read some of your tweets as well. At Outkick360 is where you can find us across the Outkick network. Hang with us. Tennessee Power Hour rolls on here on Outkick 360. Outkick.com uh, is where you can find Joe Kinsey's woke all-star bracket, which, way, Chad, you had fun with last I'm night. I'm sorry, but it is hilarious. Uh, the, na <laughs> the names of the region uh, were really funny throughout. And I'll say this. If I'm a part of the woke all-star bracket, I would have some fun with it because it's very funny, but the people that are in this bracket take themselves so seriously, and they think the work that they're doing is so serious that there's no way they're going to laugh at it. 
and uh, it's not going to be funny to them. But I, I laughed when I saw it, that's for sure. Dan Wolken, by the way, would be my, my pick. Um, but it's not oh, really course. because of the wokeness as much as the one on one battle. Like, the I just don't like Dan Wolken. The, 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 yeah, the one on one battle that Chad had at one Titans yeah, training camp with Dan Wolken. And there's enemy, right? there's writers in the on in the game <laughs> that I uh, that I like, right? That I like their work. Yeah. I, I don't like Dan Wolken. <laughs> I don't like his work. Uh, He's I your media say, arch enemy. Yeah, mate. I mean, there's probably some more closer to us that would I would say more arch enemy. Name yeah, he's, no, he's, the national, he's the national arch enemy for sure. Name a local name. Chad's I can't think of one that's more synonymous with me owning them than Dan Walken. Anytime Dan Walken comes up and says something stupid, 15 people will tweet me yeah. and mention it. Oh, Dan Walken's at it again. So I think that I'm more synonymous with the public knowing our media dust up How than about anyone else. anyone you haven't had a chance to own? I'm not like Clay in that I have, you know, 35 enemies uh, that are constantly coming at them, and they're constantly going back and forth. Anyone so. you haven't had a chance to own locally who you consider an enemy? No. I, I have several. Yeah. I think we're going to get to that in a very special bonus hour of the show at some point. Yeah, I'll name names. I'll give you some initials right now if you want. Um, Paul, you Maybe. have a 40 note. Um, yeah, so we were talking about 40s earlier, and I just found there's a guy, this There's a guy on the bracket, by the way, who ran a 40. Dan Ravel. <laughs> it's true. Oh, God, the most unathletic guy oh, who's so re- eager to advertise. <laughs> or as he's referred to in the bracket. He's referred to in the bracket as Karen Ravel. Yeah. Well, look, there are a lot of people that are unathletic in the media, oh. but they don't go out and videotape themselves constantly being unathletic. And then defend it. Yeah, and then say, like, no, actually, it's pretty good. No, it's not. It's not good at all. Um, this is from the 33rd team, which I believe is Michael Lombardi's uh, venture. It's, oh. it's very good. It's growing. It said, um, also let, known as the Alabama Crimson Tide. Let's note that this is a pro day, and based on the history of pro, uh, Penn State University's pro days, Penn State's average 40-yard dash time is 3% faster than combine results. Oh, now that's okay? interesting. So Allen Robinson, they use this as an example. At Penn State's pro day, he ran a 4-4-7. At the combine... He ran a 4-6. <laughs> so this is something they're saying that scouts generally know. So this puts a premium on scouting. Hey, how much does such Are you such saying and James Franklin fool? might not totally be telling the truth on his players and how fast they are? I got a Tanzania story uh, <laughs> yeah. to tell you, James Franklin. I wonder if they can do so this for weight. So schools know... Now, like how what much can they're, you fudge list, on weight? No, what they're listed as in the media guy oh, versus oh, what they play. I thought you meant bench press. No, no, like, no, 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 no. I don't know how they're fudging that. That's yeah. a film. Fake Those weights. are real weights. Yeah. <laughs> this guy just did 57. No, but this is a good question about your scouting department. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how many schools are pretty true to combine stuff and how many schools vary by a percentage this dramatic on a regular basis? And I bet you good scouts and good scouting departments do and bad scouts and bad scouting departments do not. But this is a fascinating nugget here that generally Penn State times guys 3% better, which when you're talking about numbers like this is not an insignificant margin when you go from a 4.47 to a 4.6. That's a a difference that qualifies in the parameters that you were talking about as not inconsequential. Paul, how's the YouTube chat going today? I, are, I, they, are they happy now that we brought up the woke bracket? I'm, I'm out. Yeah, it's probably taken off. <laughs> it's blowing Finally, up Chad is giving us what we've been waiting for. Chad clears all of his cash and uh, 
refreshes so he can vote Dan Wolken like 32 times. Yeah, just over minutes. and over. Uh, we need to update the the where the votes are right now because it's getting close to being done with the first round. Who's doing uh, it? My, so Joe Kinsey with OutKick is the one who wrote it. But the funniest line of the story is the ultra-competitive gaslight region. <laughs> the best are the names that there's the uh, – uh, oh gosh, I, I don't even know that all these terms. Name. The gender binary yeah. region, or something like that. The regions are tox, toxic masculinity region. I think Dan Wolken is the number one seed in the toxic masculinity region. Well, we know region. somebody else in there that we were at Indianapolis. <laughs> yes, and yes, we do. Protect the somebody against just guys drinking. Will anyone on this list be thrilled if they win? No. Like as a as a point of pride. No. That they're the wokest. No. No comedy chops. So, uh, I'm fascinated to, to, to watch what the Predators do at the trade deadline. Which is when, exactly? April 13th, 16th, My something God, like the, that. The trade talk started so early. Middle of next month. Middle of next month. Away. And uh, I, I bring it up now because they're playing really well. Even in their 2 nothing loss recently, they had really great goaltending from UC Soros. Uh, who's back from injury and, and again, playing well and, and has them right there at the playoff line as the backstretch of the season is about to begin. And the, the question I have, and I'm curious to find out what they do, is how do you prepare for the future? How do you trade assets that you have now that other teams will want to acquire uh, with the long shot that you could trade a player for a player, which I don't think would happen, versus trading a player that would – in essence, throw in the towel. Like if you if you trade Philip Forsberg, the message throughout the organization is we're throwing in the towel in the season where we're rebuilding because of the assets we're getting in return. You're the, that player and that that impact player signals one thing. But if you trade Ekholm for a you know to me, there's a way to go about the restructure and the rebuild without completely throwing in the towel on a playoff opportunity, which is is now within reach and within the the view of what I didn't think we would see right now. Well, here would be another big question for me, and it's you're right. It's a it's an interesting balancing act the franchise has now with who to trade and what to do. But how much does a playoff trip matter? That's what I was gonna say. Like I mean, anything, anything if, you're, if you're gonna go in, your your percentage chances are still very small. It's not it's not thirty percent even to get into the playoffs. 19, so you said yes. what would it matter to this team to make the playoffs and lose in the first round? You can go and get on a run with a hot goaltender. That's always the thing. But this team recently in the playoffs has showed us absolutely nothing. Uh, and they're well, my very point being, satisfied okay, with Let's the say losing. they blow it up. Let's say they blow it up. They reset. They trade Forsberg, and you know they're intentionally going to be bad for a couple of years to rebuild. Well, if in three years we have this question and you're asking me how important is a playoff trip to this new group of guys they're rebuilding with, it's very important. I don't know how important a playoff trip to the Preds, considering they go every year. Well, it's important. It's important for John Hines. It's important for David Poyle. Well, that's, and there goes to the bigger question. Right. Are you making plans with those guys moving forward? Well, you're making plans with them at the trade deadline this year, though. They're the ones doing the moves. So how, how do you – we, we are agreeing that they need to rebuild. They need to restructure what they're doing. But can you do both? Is it possible I don't, to do both? I, I, it's kind of half measures to me. You go full measures. Then also, you know, I'm not saying tank, but you go full measures. You get the results you get. Then your pick is what it should be. 
that helps you along with the picks that you get as a result of what you deal and you've gone full measures and and then your rebuild is better because you went full measures because you're getting hopefully if you're scouting well and making the right picks you're getting the value you need then maybe well, you here's trade what's crazy some about this team though, Paul. in a little while for some some Here, here's what's interesting about this team you could do both the only time this team has been praised this year is when they lost stars to injury and guys started stepping, stepping up, up and they started playing their younger Ellie guys. Tolvin. And guess what? They won four out of five. So who knows? Maybe getting rid of some older stars and letting young guys play is a route to do both, rebuild and make the back end of the playoffs. I think it's, I know a, it's a, stretch. a relatively small it's a stretch. sample size that we've seen right. this. That's all I'm saying, right? I'm not buying four out of five as being – uh, enough to convince me that they've got something based on what I've seen up until now, no matter who's been on the ice. On the way out today, uh, I'm curious what you guys uh, fell into in the YouTube wormhole last night or this morning. I've got one good one from last night that I spent probably an hour on. Well, I showed you guys mine. It was Chris Farley you know, running out um, David Letterman 25 years ago. It was 25 it's years ago clip. yesterday where he had his frantic run through the audience and cartwheel up on David Letterman. And then that led into Matt Foley on SNL and a Chris Farley wormhole. I got stuck in something last night when I was doing uh, some receiver work, uh, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Like it a comedy bit or? No, some receiver stuff, but it oh, like spun drills. off of the receivers that I was looking at into stuff that was not relevant to the work I was doing. I watched a 25-clip playlist of Crocodile Dundee 2 <laughs> last night. I like that. It. We get into to start tomorrow. <laughs> I'm a big, Linda, I'm a big Linda Kozlowski fan. What has become of her? There's I, a very special scene in the original Crocodile Dundee with Linda Kozlowski. Bathtub? No. <laughs> In fact, I'm pulling it up right now, and I'll show it to you. The random the YouTube wormhole. Uh, we'll, we'll hit this from time to time because I fall into a pit of misery sometimes. I I, I end up with a, an hour that's gone pit by, and I think, what have I bride. what have I just watched? <laughs> and then time it, it flies by back, so quickly. Brings me back to the late 80s, early 90s. I do it on Facebook. I get into videos that I don't even know what magic tricks and yeah, uh, me too. Pranks and puzzles. Like the yeah, how do you undo this puzzle. thing? Yeah, uh, that's tomorrow. Those I'll, algorithms. I mean, whoever's designing those really is the master of the universe. Hey, check out Outkick the show with Clay Travis coming up in two hours right here on the Outkick Network. Uh, great job by our entire crew: Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson, the Basalt Bandit, also David Reed, the chairman of the board. Like, share, retweet, subscribe to the show. Thanks for all of uh, the help in spreading the word that Outkick 360 is here. Day nine in the books. Hope you'll join us for day 10, which starts at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. We'll have the VolQuest hour plus all the headlines of the day right here on Outkick 360. And on day nine, you finally get the full sign off. Don't block the box and do lock the locks.